this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we're back with another one of our Patreon polls. This is where we put up a poll of suggestions that have come through Dig Me Out headquarters, processed by our Dig Me Out staff, placed into a poll, and then our patrons vote over the course of about a week and pick an episode for us. This is our October poll, Jay, and it was close. We had a we had a almost a four way tie, but one of them ended up pulling it out at the end. Yeah, good good distribution of votes on this one. Yes. So we had uh, in the running Johnny Polanski. Hi, my name is Johnny. Garage Land, last last exit to Garage Land, which I've never heard, and Life of Agony Ugly was pretty close too. Mm-hmm. But it, but they did not win. No, the what, winner, what? Jay. Yeah. Owsley. I never Owsley heard of, by Owsley. Yeah, I never heard of him before. So Suggested is, by Whitney Beeler. Nice. Well, that makes total sense. Because Whitney is our power pop go-to uh, commenter. That's and right. this falls into that category, as we will soon talk about. And... I'm going to mention the other ones that were in this. Metal Molly's Surgery for Zebra was one of the entrants in this particular uh, poll. That was one that I reviewed, Jay, for the WFAL music review staff back in 1990-whatever uh, that came out. Right. Uh, the Makeup, Destination Love, Live at Cold Rice, Huffamoose, We've Been Had, Branston's Letterbox. Jay, we played with Branston. Mm-hmm. And then Life of Agony's album, Ugly, which got a lot of comments, but did not end up with uh, the win. Two votes shy. Yeah. Uh, tied with Garage Land with eight votes. The winner, Owsley, with 10. And then Johnny Plonsky came in with seven. Uh, only the makeup failed to register a vote. So we will not be... Uh, making up that episode at any point in the future well done <laughs> thank you i worked on that one so owsley just going to give some brief info here so people know who the heck we're talking about full name william reese owsley the third was a member of a power pop band called the semantics it was from uh, i should say from anniston alabama uh came from a musical family playing guitar very young um and i said uh, was in a uh band called the semantics with jade uh, a famous person was in that band ringo Starr's son zach starkey no kidding oh yes now a member of the who longtime member of the who uh, yes so uh owsley as he went by uh ended up becoming a uh Songwriter and guitarist, studio guitarist and musician for a number of acts. Um, he lived, moved to Nashville when he was younger, so 
you know, obviously that's a songwriting town and, and recording town. So uh, worked with a lot of folks and then became, after the semantics uh, failed to do anything with their uh, debut release that was on um, Geffen, he ended up becoming the uh, touring guitarist for Amy Grant. And oh. did that. Took for... me a, it took me a minute to even remember who that was. Yeah, well, the other one was Shania Twain. He also worked right. for, with Shania Twain. Uh, basically, being a touring guitarist and musician and, and backup singer for those artists allowed him to buy a house and recording studio. Good. And with that money, he recorded this debut album, and then it ended up getting distributed uh, by Giant Records, which was, I think, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. Had a lot of acts that people would know, such as Letters to Cleo was one that I re- saw when I was scanning through their roster. Um, I remember that label vaguely. And uh, so this album came out in 1999, self-titled. And then he had a follow-up in 2004. That was delayed. It was actually done and ready to go in 2003. But there was difficulties with Giant. Giant had difficulties with Warner Brothers because they weren't being distributed outside the United States. And they had to sign a separate deal. And there was some infighting. And then everybody at the label got turned over and... So Giant was kind of a mess, and he wanted to get out from that label. And whatever ended up happening, he uh, signed on with um, a Universal's digital label, which was called Yumi Digital, in 2004. And um, he ended up putting out a single. And they did mostly session work from 2005 to 2010 for people like um, Faith Hill and... Charlotte Church, the Jonas Brothers, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez. I mean, lots and lots of people. And then, unfortunately, sadly, um, he died in 2010 at the age of 44 of an apparent suicide. Um, Mm. So, tragically, we only have these two records from him uh, as far as releases go and the, the digital single that came out. Uh, in 2005. So, let's talk a little bit about what our patrons, patrons at Patreon had to say about this uh, release and about some of the other ones that maybe didn't get picked. Um, so, Whitney Beeler obviously said Owsley <laughs> because it was his pick. Yep. Brandon Trammell said the makeup were amazing, but they're obviously not winning this poll. The Owsley record has some serious chops and it is produced surprisingly well for the era. Doesn't sound dated at all to my ears, other than the fact that no one crafts smart and interesting pop songs on a big budget anymore. Keith Sawyer says, of these, Owsley and Garageland have the most appeal. Garageland record especially has some really wonderful songs. Can I split my vote? To which you replied, I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) Uh, Darren Leach, not familiar with most of these, so I gave them all a listen. Metal Molly sounds interesting enough to revisit, maybe in the future. Uh, Eric Peterson said, Life of Agony all the way. Have you guys covered a New York hardcore band from the 90s? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, Not straight up hardcore, I don't think. Bands that had some maybe hardcore influence, but I don't think a straight up hardcore band. Uh, He says, Ugly is recorded 
is a re- record that has stayed in my collection over the years. The first record, River Runs Red, is a masterwork of the genre and era, but it's a hard listen with its brutal honesty about depression and suicidal thoughts and impulses. Mostly I remember Ugly for their cover of Don't You Forget About Me, which is a great version of that song. James Stelter says, Ugly is a great record, probably my favorite Life of Agony release. It was a tough session for the band, and the songs are emotionally burdened. Not sure it gets my vote, though. I like Dig Me Out more for finding new bands. Maybe inadvertently this is a bid to get others interested in Ugly voting or not. That's interesting. If you already know the band pretty well, do you vote against them because you don't want us to actually listen to it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good... Uh different points of view on how to cast your votes here. Scott Hallgren was very confused by this list. He said, I really can't just a general what at this list. (laughs) And then Scott Witt said, except for life of Agony, I haven't heard of any of these. Didn't really care for them much. Then their new album is killer though. I don't know who Johnny is, but looking at his pick, I want to punch him. Hey now. Hey, he's a former guest. He's He's a super nice guy. Very gentlemanly uh, uh, gentleman. You don't have to get violent. He said, I choose Huffamoose just because of their name. I mean, that's an option in voting. You can certainly just... Yeah. I've done that. And then uh, Scott said, after he found out that we interviewed him, he said, I'm downgrading to a slap because I still have a crush on Mini Driver. Oof. I don't think any violence is called for in this situation, Scott, but we're going to overlook that. Uh... And then Frank Garcia Hell says, some obscure ones here. I remember Blind Spot by Branson being a cool song. It sounded like a fuzzed out Green Day meets Jawbreaker. Hi, my name is Johnny. Had some catchy lo-fi pop stuff. In a Frank Black, Ben Queller, Matthew Sweetway. Garage Lane has some charming alt indie pop I really dug. The Makeup was a super interesting band that had some really cool songs that sound and sound, but I had to be in the right mood to listen to them. I had completely forgotten about Owsley. They had gotten a little airplay in our market. And I remember them fitting into that late 90s catchy alternative pop rock scene, kind of like an OK Go that can actually write songs. Is that Oof. mean? The song Sunny Boy almost rips off Saturday in the Park. We'll get to that. Pass on Huffa Moose. They reminded me of Dishwalla, One Hit Wonder, Radio Festival kind of band. The lyrics too, and it. Lyrics to Enigmatic make me cringe. I remember my friends my friends loving that Life of Agony album. I thought it was fine. Don't remember Metal Molly. I'm rambling. Sorry, my vote goes to Garage Land. <laughs> and then Ian Wobble said, I'm really surprised or disappointed by the last few polls, to be honest. I will be voting for Last Exit to Garage Land, which I do have floating around here somewhere. Nice to see some Kiwi alt-rock in the list. Ian. I don't, I don't know how to take that, like... You know we don't pick these bands, right? We're literally putting them in the polls based on the order in which we receive them. That was the next eight bands that, or albums that were suggested to us. But I think this is such a good, I don't know, I feel like this was a really good mix. We got like a heavy band in here. We got some pop. We got some uh, emo-ish stuff, some weird stuff. Like, yeah. This is like covers a pretty good spectrum. I feel like maybe there's something deeper going on here, Ian. Have we have we wronged you in some way? Have we have we have we screwed up? Did we screw up somehow? Now this is definitely one that didn't have a. So we had gone through a pattern where we had two or three in a row that had pretty big successful records on them. Right. This like was the Bex first Loser. one where. Yeah, this is the first one where there was nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Or Mellow Gold, not Loser. Loser was the song. 
if you would like to complain about our polls, you can join us at Patreon for just a buck a month. That's patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And very soon we'll be announcing some fourth quarter giveaway information. But not today. So let's get to the record, Jay. Owsley, 1999, by Owsley, or Will Owsley. The band was actually made up of uh, Millard Powers on bass, Chris Hugh on drums, and Jonathan Hamby on Hammond organ, Mini Moog, Wurlitzer, Chamberlain. I don't know what a Chamberlain is. I need to look that up. It's like an organ? Yes. Oh. Well, what makes it different than an organ? I, I don't know. That's I'm what I need to look expert. up. <laughs> and there, there's a number of uh, uh, additional musicians who appear on just one or two tracks. So let's talk about this record. Came out in 1999 on Giant Records. We mentioned it. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about the self-titled 1999 debut album by Owsley. Craft. There's a ton of craft on this record. Um, from songwriting standpoint to the musicianship to the production, everything is very well crafted, very well considered. A lot of clever songwriting techniques, um, a lot of good um, vocal uh, layering and harmonies. Covers a pretty good spectrum of, I guess, sounds as well. You know, the performances are all, all very strong. So, you know, I mean, this definitely sounds like a person or a group of people that have studied at the uh at the church of the beatles and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of good you know power pop sort of uh, influences to come together on on a sound that's i think more pop than power for me though um i think for the a lot of this record uh, it borders on almost a straight pop record um if you took the guitars out a little bit you know these are all legitimate pop songs or the majority of them are so i'm not sure if i hear the power in a lot of this record but uh it's certainly pop it's certainly well crafted and and when well recorded uh i you know before i get to my one thing i think there's definitely some guitar pop rock in the power pop sense on a number of the tracks like on oh no the radio i'm all right a zavlo house i think those all have pretty strong tar rock centered song or or our guitar rock centered songs. I don't think it's a straight power pop record, and I'll get into that a little bit more. 
the one thing I really like about this record is, you know, putting it on headphones. There's so many cool sounds. It's so meticulously like put together. Like Brandon said, it doesn't sound dated. Um, you know, interestingly enough, it's even though it's a quote unquote major label record because it came out on Giant, which was a subsidiary of a major label. This was all recorded at his home studio, and all they did was do a remix before it was released. So everything you're hearing is what he recorded with his band. Um, and it's, it sounds really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you jump around from song to song, you hear a, uh, through those sounds, so many different cool influences, um, you know, on, on like track seven, I mentioned Zavlo house. Uh, it's got a great, like classic synth sound on that track. And, um, the song Sunny Boy was brought up that has a <laughs> Saturday in the park, but also it had a very like John Bryan kind of feel with that like seventies singer songwriter piano thing and, and the melodies that he's got on that song. Um, but again, it's just, everything sounds like perfectly placed. Um, he picks the right spots. They, they do like, a, uh, in track three, uh, coming up roses, there's like halfway through the song, it's about four minute song, so it's like just before the two minute mark. There's like a double lead guitar part that's really cool. And it's like I think a a more indulgent band would have plastered that all over the song. And they just use it for like a very specific purpose at one point. And then do other things in, in the song and, and there's lots of cool you know, we mentioned about the various organs uses the Woolitzer and the Chamberlain and stuff like that. You really hear that throughout the record. Lots of interesting organ and keyboard parts. So for me, like just listening to all the work that went into constructing it from a sounds perspective and just building the songs and the and the record like that way was really interesting, especially with headphones. This is like I don't think power pop records are always thought of as like headphones records. You kind of think of those as like you can crank them and they sound good loud, you know, like a cheap tricker cheap trick record or something like that. But this has a lot of nuance to it that which is why I think it maybe is not as pure a power pop record as maybe it's been described uh by other folks specifically like Wikipedia which calls the genre power pop and rock. And I think there's a little bit more going on to this. Mm. What about you? You think there's more going on? There is. 
I mean, from the production standpoint alone, it, it, it get, I guess it's more to me, it's probably closer to like Jason Faulkner, Jellyfish. Yeah. The Greys, that type of thing. Um, but then he's, I guess, less progressive than mm-hmm. maybe some of those bands are. So he's like in this middle ground that from a production standpoint, I think it goes beyond what your typical power pop record would be like. Um, I think that that leads me to like where I struggle with this record in that uh, I listen to this record a ton. I've listened to it for several weeks and I am just struggling to really grab anything. Like nothing stands out to me. Nothing. It's almost like overproduced um, hmm. and, and, and to the point where it's like vanilla, um, vanilla ice cream, you know, it's just, and I think I'll walk back. I guess I'll walk back my comment about it a little bit about it being more pure pop. I guess what I'm saying is that it doesn't have enough edginess to it. Um, and I think in like even like the posies, you know, frosting on the beater, there's an edge to that record, even though it's can be very syrupy and, and right. hooky. And but there is like some sharp edges here and there. And there, there's just no sharp edges on this record at all. Um, I do like when he gets a little bit dark. So coming up roses, you know, it's, it's a little uh, more somber sounding, at least in the verses, um, which I, I was that the melody in that verse is very familiar to me. It was killing me trying to figure out what it was. It was either, it almost sounded like a, an Aussie song that I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> like the vocal melody, like one of his slow songs, um, it was killing me trying to figure out what the hell it is. It sounds very familiar. It was either the Beatles or which Ozzy actually rips off the Beatles quite a bit in most of his ballads, the melodies he uses and stuff. So anyway, the, um, the, the darker material works better for me. I'm all right, which is more a beat and just straight, just straight power pop, you know, under three minutes, really well written. That works well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of things on here that are very like, either bouncy or kind of plotting. And I just really struggle to sink my teeth into it. Like, and it's one of those records where on paper, everything checks all the boxes of what I would like, but then in practice, I just can't, I just struggle getting into it. How about you? You know what? I'm, I'm actually right there with you. I found this to be a very split record for me in that I think there's like five, or six songs that I think are really strong and they tend to be the up-tempo songs that have a little bit of guitarness going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then when he like dials it down on tracks like good old days or, um, sentimental favorite, they're like this very mannered jangle pop that yeah. to me is just, it's like, it totally misses the mark for what I want to listen to from a band that's described as power pop. Like you're, you're right in that if these were jellyfish songs, there would be like more complexity to them as opposed to just an acoustic guitar being strummed. And, and, you know, there's some really cool bass lines and on those songs, the bass can't do as much because it's slower. It's more, like you said, plotting and mid tempo. Um, They're pretty songs, but they just don't stick with me. So like I would put on this record and there would be like a stretch of like six or eight minutes where I would just kind of zone out and be like, yep. what, where am I? 
And then like, <laughs> yeah, well, I did the same thing. And then a song would hit, and I'd be like, "Ooh, okay, that's I hear that guitar part. That's a cool guitar part. That kind of thing." Yep. And um, yeah, there was just uh, I don't mind when I hear stuff and I go, "Oh, that's clearly a Beatles influence." Yeah, you know? yeah, I don't be- have an issue with that. That to me is, I mean, that happens with regards, yeah, especially with regards fine. to power pop and jangle pop. They're just that's you're paying homage. It gets worked in. But when you do that, then I know you have the capability of like doing something more interesting. And when the slower songs are just these very simple four chord strummy kind of songs, and they might have pretty melodies on top, but I need a little bit more to carry it because I, I know that from listening to the other songs that there should be some counter melodies in the rest of the band and, there's not a huge, you know, drop off between the vocal melody and what the music is around it. So I just found myself sort of like drifting. And like you said, I had a lot of time to listen to this too, because we delayed recording for a little bit, like because of some scheduling. So we had a little extra time to listen to this. And uh, I tried to like really hunker down and be like, what am I missing? This should, because yeah. like, the first two songs and I'm like, oh, this is, this is really good. Although I will yeah. say... Oh No, The Radio should be a single, and it should be, like, three and a half minutes long. Oh No, The Radio has got me by the ears and won't let go. Oh No, The Radio is playing that song again. No, 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 The Radio follows me everywhere I go. And it's the yep. opening track, and it's five minutes, and it's, you know, except for the last song, which is a, it's actually two songs. It's a song, and then it's a reprise of track four. It should not, all the other songs are tight. So I don't understand why they yeah. did that on the first song. I think because it's so slow. I think it's just one of the, like, structure-wise, I think it's fine. It's just the tempo is wrong. And with the tempo being that slow, you end up with a five-minute song. Well, it's and, like in halftime, right? Yeah, and it's just like the broken. It has a lot of broken bass parts. Yeah, so it's like boom, 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 boom. You know, it's just that kind of thing. And you're like, it goes through the whole songs like that, and um, it just it plods. It, it you feel like you're just dragging to get through it. Yeah, and and I mean, it, it's tough because when you're listening to it, you're like, well, there's nothing wrong with this part or that part. You know, there's some records we review where like, oh boy, that that part's terrible. That lyric's terrible, or the song it doesn't make sense it's more just maybe they needed a producer or maybe like somebody to kind of come in and challenge i don't know the dynamic in the you know the band but somebody come in and challenge and say hey this could you know why don't we speed this up or maybe cut this part out or it's probably the best example of what's wrong with the record is just track one to me um when you first listen to you'll be like oh this is nice enough but when you start to 
go through the record several times and kind of come back to it, you start to realize like, oh, this is five minutes long. Why the hell is this song five minutes long? And boy, this doesn't really go anywhere. And, you know, it, it's got a great little guitar solo in it. It's got nice pieces and parts. The organ in the verse is nice, but together it it doesn't work from from a power pop standpoint. And, you know, I'm all right. I think we've probably been a much better album starter. That's sort of in the classic, like, cars slash fountains of wayne mold yeah that yeah. song and a song like good old days i mean that's just adult contemporary rock yeah like you know what i mean like just yep. drummy kind of bland nothing when i um, i was listening to that song and i wrote down duncan Sheik and sister hazel yes yes i'll say yes those are exactly the the bands i was thinking because we went through the late 90s we had a, like a a flood of adultish, you know, alt rock that uh, those bands and even Toad the Wit Sprocket and there was a bunch of others um, that this that would have fit in perfectly. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the tough part. Like, I guess because I don't expect that from Toad the Wit Sprocket in terms of like these you know Beatle esque harmonies and uh you know edgy sort of guitar riffing on certain tracks that when they do what they do i'm totally cool with it because that's their thing but when this band shows me that they're capable of much more but then they're giving me like toe the wet sprocket b-sides i'm yeah. like uh that's not good enough you're letting me down yep so yeah i'm i'm right there with you like there i I wanted to really like this record because when that opening guitar riff starts, I'm like, Ooh, okay. This kind of almost sounds like no knife. Like what is going on here? Like, is this going to be like an indie emo type thing? And then it's, it doesn't, it doesn't go in that way. Yeah. I, yeah. I could hear that. No knife would come in with some really like jarring drum part. Oh, it would have been like, like double Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, well, you know, a lot of changes and, yeah, play with tempo, like have the guitar be halftime, but the drums be, you know, then uh, the bass would be faster. Yeah, th that dynamic is not going on on this record. No, um, unfortunately. And it, it could it could really benefit. It's it's like it's missing one player or one voice yeah. to kind of bring it together and make it special. Yeah. It, it kind of sound, it sounds a little bit like you would imagine, you know, somebody, you know, noodling on their own record on their own time in their own direction you know mm -hmm. uh, i mean it has that feel to it of you know being one-dimensional i guess yeah yeah so let's give our overall rankings then jay we're the album better ep decent single i'm gonna go with an ep i would say i'm all right coming up roses the homecoming song and maybe uh is it Zabalo House? Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a fun tune. It sounds a little bit like middle era Weezer. Um, but uh, I got a little super grass out of that, actually. Okay. I think the rest of the record's fine. It's just forgettable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. EP, um, a lot of the same songs. I, I don't mind Oh No, The Radio. I just wish it was shorter. Um, but I'm at like four or five songs. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was perplexing. For as much time as I spent with it, I was hoping I would absorb it more. But the more I listened to it, the more confused I got by 
why I wasn't liking it like I should have. And as much as yeah, people we, talk about. Yeah, I felt bad. I, it, it, but hearing you describe like losing focus and that's exactly what I was going through. And that's why I, I think I had to listen to it so much. I just kept playing it over and over again, thinking maybe I just been distracted or I got stuff going on at work or whatever. Like I'll, this time around, I'll catch something. And I just it, it never caught. It was weird. Yeah. I mean, by this point, I know all the songs, like all the hooks and stuff because I've listened to it so much, but that's just been because I had to for the show not that I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank uh, everyone who participated in our October poll. Our November poll just wrapped up and we'll be uh, reviewing that record in December because we're always a month behind, obviously, on, on the poll. So that means uh, soon our November, no, our December poll will go up at, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Our December poll mm -hmm. will be next, and we'll review that in January. So yeah. if you'd like to participate in voting in our polls, you can go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And for a buck a month, you can join us. You can also be entered to win in our quarterly contest. Uh, this one would be the fourth quarter coming up. And uh, I can uh, give you a preview of what, what we're going to have in December. Ooh. Jebediah, the Crockets, the Honey Dogs, Tommy Keen, Uncle Green, UMI, and Sinead Lowen. Don't know most of those. Uh, I know a few. I know the Honey Dogs because there's a connection to Golden Smog. Okay. That's that's the only one I know. <laughs> I don't think I ever listened to them. Uh, that's an interesting group. I look forward to checking out those records before they get uh, voted on. Of course, you'll know. And our, our backlog's starting to free up, so we'll be uh, asking for requests again here. Cool. Just go to digmeoutpodcast.com forward slash suggest. And if you like what you heard, folks please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.